Today is Palm Sunday, as you heard, as you know. Um, Today, as John mentioned, we start the grand crescendo of the Lenten season, of Holy Week is what these these next few days are called. We are, are on the verge of the beginning of the end, as it were, and it all starts here. Today's celebration that, as you could imagine from what we tried to recreate, I did rather poorly up here, but it was based on, today's celebration based on great expectations will quickly, in a matter of days, turn into Friday's condemnation of an innocent man and a holy God. The same crowd that we're emulating today, that was once amazed by the authority of Jesus' sermons, wowed by his signs and wonders, satisfied by the abundance of fishes and loaves, will reject the hand that fed them that has healed them, that has delivered them from their demons. Joyous peals of Hosanna, of which even the stones, Jesus says, know the chorus, will soon evolve into bloodthirsty shrieks of crucify him, which will cause all creation to quake and to shudder. Beloved, as Jesus enters the city, which is what we remember today, the city of Jerusalem, as Jesus enters the city, his days are numbered. And Holy Week is our experience of counting those days, of following Jesus each step of the way. Because what we come to see at the end is that his triumphal entry that at first glance appears to turn into a shameful exit will after three days be revealed to be the ultimate victory, changing the course of history. It's affected our calendars, recreating the world as we know it, and fulfilling an ancient promise upon which our eternal future is assured. All this is before us. However, before we take our first step forward, what I want to invite us to do this morning is I'd like us to look back to a place upon a person Jesus meets just before he enters Jerusalem. It's a man, and this man from Jericho, much to the surprise of those who knew him, offers us, I think, a better picture more than anyone else in Jerusalem of how we can encounter, of how we ought to accept and follow Jesus as our king. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke chapter 19. And if you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to use and take with you, if you need a Bible, the Bible that's there in the pew. We're opening up to Luke chapter 19, page 732. Let's hear what Luke has for us this morning. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I here and now give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. You know, it's interesting because we make a big deal out of today, and one of the reasons we make a big deal out of today is because of the crowd that's assembled in Jerusalem as Jesus entered the city. But if you pay attention at all to the Gospels, if we've been paying attention, those of us who've been going through the Gospel of Luke these last couple of weeks, the crowds have been gathering long before today. As Jesus is making his way towards the holy city, the passage that we just read, as he passes through the city of Jericho, a crowd, once again, has formed around him. And apparently, we're told, the sea of people around Jesus is so dense, those who really want to get a good look at him have to go above and beyond. Enter a man named Zacchaeus. Luke gives us many details about this man that we'll talk about throughout this uh, meditation, but one that immediately stands out in this scene, maybe you remember it from the children's song, is his height. Zacchaeus, as we once learned to sing, was a wee little man. I don't know how he'd feel about that song, by the way. But the point is, Zacchaeus is so short, he can't see over the masses huddled around Jesus. Now, most people, I think, would have given up trying, figuring they catch a glimpse of the famous teacher and miracle worker later, maybe on his next visit to Jericho. But Zacchaeus is clearly motivated to do whatever it takes to set his eyes upon Jesus. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus really wants to get a look at him. And I, these are moments where I step back from Scripture and I, I wonder about what isn't said. What drives Zacchaeus so? What, what makes him so motivated? Was it curiosity? The appeal of celebrity? You know, having heard of Jesus' impressive reputation and resume? Did Zacchaeus want to see for himself what made Jesus such a compelling figure to draw crowds wherever he went? Or perhaps Zacchaeus' motivation was more personal. Maybe it's gotten around to Jericho that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And no doubt this would have struck a chord for Zacchaeus. After all, his chosen profession, and we'll talk more about that later, but his chosen profession didn't exactly win him many admirers, let alone friends. So maybe Zacchaeus figured anyone who was willing to be associated with the likes of him was definitely worth a look. While we can't know for sure what drives him, what we do know is Zacchaeus' desire was for, to see Jesus was strong. Was so strong, in spite of the obstacles before him, he was determined to find the means to encounter Christ. He was so earnest to take a peek, he climbed all the way up a tree to get the vantage point over the crowd. Zacchaeus puts his reputation and influence at risk in this moment by doing something undignified. Undignified given his position in the community. And again, we will talk more about this. But this is, this is something, this action that he takes that has the potential to draw all the more attention, if you will, to his shortcomings. All it will take is one person to notice and he will become a laughingstock, the butt of a joke to a lot of people who already don't think too highly of him. And yet apparently Zacchaeus is unconcerned about the opinions of others. It comes through the page to me, his only concern is to see Jesus. And beloved, this is the first thing I want to point to in this close encounter with Jesus. May we be so driven, may we be so steadfast in looking for Jesus over these next few days. The first move we make in following Jesus as our king is actually looking for him. Our calendars are full, right? Our schedules are busy, always, not just this week, every week. 
And it's going to be very easy because this is just the status of our life on a regular basis. It's going to be very easy to let the next few days pass unaccounted for. How often does that happen to us? Well, we turn around and we say, how did Monday become Friday? Many opportunities of seemingly better things to do will come up this week and tempt us to skip the upper room, to bypass the garden, to avoid the cross, to opt not to attend the funeral, and to just show up for bonnets, bunnies, and colored eggs on Sunday. Beloved, if we won't follow Jesus through Holy Week, are we really going to follow him the other days of our life? So I want to start by just telling you to look for Jesus this week. I'm asking you, make the time. Enter this sacred space. Don't let life get in the way this week. Don't allow your own busyness to crowd you out of getting a better vantage point in order to see Jesus during these next few days. These days have been set aside by the church for centuries for a reason. And if you make the time, you might find yourself surprised like Zacchaeus. Back to our story, in order to catch a better glimpse of Jesus, Luke describes, as I said, how Zacchaeus climbed a tree, a sycamore tree. Now, it's important to realize, and I didn't realize this until we just went to the Holy Land, um, coming back from that pilgrimage just a little over a week ago, it's important to realize that the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbs is not like the sycamore tree in our neck of the woods. Now, if, you've ever, if any of you are familiar with trees, if that's your thing, the sycamore tree that we're used to in our part of the world is more like a maple tree, right? But the variety of sycamore tree in the Middle East would be akin to our mulberry tree. And if you don't know what a mulberry tree is, that's more of a tree that has really large leaves. And Luke goes on to describe that this particular variety of sycamore trees actually sprouted a fig-like fruit. All of this is to, this contrast is to describe to you that Zacchaeus has got two things in mind, okay? He's climbing up a tree to be able to see Jesus, so he's looking for a location that affords him a height advantage, but he's also looking for a place that's going to provide him some cover. Zacchaeus believes that up there he could not only see Jesus, but he could also remain hidden from the view of others. Now, you can imagine, given all this, how shocked Zacchaeus was when Jesus, just as he's coming into view, looks up and waves at him. Right? Even more than this, and I don't know if you catch this, even more than this, Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus! They've never met before. And Jesus knows his name. My friends, Zacchaeus believed he was looking for Jesus, but it turns out Jesus had his eyes on Zacchaeus all the while. My friends, when we start opening our eyes and when we start searching for God, the humbling and encouraging discovery we soon make is to learn that the Lord had his sights on us the whole time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. When you start to look, when you start to search for Jesus, all of a sudden you're surprised to find out Jesus has had his eyes on you the whole time. This is, not for me, one of the most beautiful dimensions of what we call the incarnation in the church. Long before we pursued God, God in Christ came down and pursued us. Jesus came just for you and just for me. Like Zacchaeus, let this sink in. It's real simple, but it's profound. Like Zacchaeus, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your story. He knows the heights we've risen to. And he knows our shortcomings. 
There's no need to hide in the shadows or glance at him from a distance. And one thing you get right from the moment that Zacchaeus realizes that Jesus is looking at him is Jesus doesn't just want to be seen by Zacchaeus, right? Jesus tells him, come down immediately. Come closer to me. Jesus declares, I must stay at your house today. I love that. I'm going to be your guest. (laughs) Zacchaeus sought a closer look at Jesus, and Jesus offered Zacchaeus even deeper access. Jesus wants to come into his home. Jesus wants to come into his life. Jesus wants to come into his heart. And this desire, this invitation, isn't unique or exclusive to Zacchaeus. It's the very heart of the gospel. That's why we're here, right? We worship a God in Christ who seeks so much more than our acknowledgement of him. God purposes to be fully known by us through Christ. Jesus came, in other words, not just so that we would realize that God knows us, knows who we are. Jesus comes, he invites us through our relationship with him to truly know who God is. The second move we make in following Jesus as our king is answering his invitation to be known by us. It means that second move is opening our lives before him. Again, it's not there in the story, but I don't think it's reading too much into it. Don't you think it's likely that all of this was unexpected for Zacchaeus? Do you think he planned any of this? Is it hard to imagine that Zacchaeus had other things going on in his life, other plans, places to be, people to see, things to do? And yet, even though he may have planned for his day to go differently, Luke shares with us Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him gladly. He dropped everything. He didn't hesitate. Zacchaeus didn't try to reschedule for a more convenient time. See, he he joyously embraced the blessing of Jesus' invitation. Once again, my friends, beloved, the next few days, these next few days are about experiencing the closest encounter we can possibly have with Jesus. To choose to miss any of it, to choose to miss all of it, is to miss the complete revelation of who Jesus is as well as the full impact of why he came, how Jesus has changed things, the world, our lives forever. You know, these are the questions that people ask all the time. What's different about Jesus? What's so special about what Jesus did? And you know what? We can have Bible studies. I can preach sermons. You can sit down with Pastor Tran, Pastor John, or myself, and we can talk about it. But these next few days give us the opportunity to experience it, to be present. And there's something about experiencing that either one fills in the gaps in what we think we understand and sometimes gets us past just the intellectual knowledge that we carry around. Our Lord, beloved, our Lord purposes to make his home with us. He wants to take up residence in our hearts and to occupy the spaces in which we live. Everything that's about to happen, everything that's about to happen, all of the things, ironically, that we think we're about to put Jesus through, the betrayal and the denials, the false trial and the abandonment, the mockery and the abuse, the hand-wringing and the condemnation, and finally death itself, all of these things we think we're about to put Jesus through, Jesus is about to embrace willingly, wholeheartedly, for each and every one of us. Why? Why? 
because Jesus just had to suffer? No. Jesus endures all of this. Has this ever occurred to you? Jesus endures all of this, all of this chaos, all of this pain, all of this brokenness, because all of this chaos, all of this pain, all of this brokenness is what overshadows this world. Jesus is occupying the space of our lives apart from God. Do you get it? He is occupying the darkest corners of our lives in these next few days. He is occupying the space of what we inflict upon each other, of what we become on our own as both victims and victimizers because of sin. This is a reflection of Jesus' love, of God's character, but it's a reflection of Jesus' love, God's character, in the context of just how lost, of just how broken we are. This is a really short story, but Luke writes it beautifully because Zacchaeus receives Jesus into his home, and we get to see in just 10 verses, it changes his life. You see that, right? It changes his life. He literally becomes, before our eyes, a changed man. Before he encountered Christ, Zacchaeus was a tax collector for Jericho. Now, you probably have heard about them before, but just by way of a quick review, that means he was the one who contracted with the Romans to collect the monies that funded the empire. The Romans didn't care how much their tax collectors, how they went about doing their business as long as they got their money. So as a result, you can know where this goes next, right? The Roman tax system was corrupt. Having the authority of the empire behind them, a tax collector had the leverage to overcharge people, to take more than was owed to Rome, and thereby to line his pockets with the surplus. Now, important note, Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, though. Were you reading carefully? He was the chief tax collector for Jericho. This means, very important, Zacchaeus didn't have to get his hands dirty, going door to door to gouge people in the town. He had other people working under him, for him, the rest of the tax collectors to do that. So while he made a living off the backs of other people, Zacchaeus never had to look any of them in the eyes. But still, he knew what everyone thought of him, didn't he? How they badmouthed him, how they hated him. But just in case he didn't, or if up to now, and you know how we do this, he did a decent job of just ignoring or pretending not to know what other people thought of him. In this moment, in this surprise encounter with Jesus, it soon becomes clear, and if you have your Bible open, don't miss this. Luke tells us it was a crowd, but notice what he says here. It becomes clear, not just the crowd, but Luke writes, all the people, all the people start to mutter about the company Jesus is keeping. That's one of my favorite words, by the way, mutter. Don't you love that word, mutter? (laughs) Mutter. You don't even have to, you know exactly what it is, right? You could just say mutter, 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 (laughs) mutter. Jesus is hanging out with a sinner. Jesus is hanging out with a corrupt CEO, a crook, a liar. Jesus is gonna be the guest of a guy who sold out his own people who sold out his own people in order to cash in and get ahead. Here's a little added bonus for you. The name Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' name meant the righteous one. Get a load of that. (laughs) 
His name meant the righteous one. But in the eyes of all the people in Jericho, everyone who knew him, nothing could have been further from the truth. Righteous one. Ha! Now, let's bring some humanity into this story. There's some passage of time that goes on here. This isn't all instantaneous. This is this muttering. Just imagine the muttering. Zacchaeus is with Jesus. They're heading towards his home. And you just picture that crowd. Mutter, 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 mutter. Zacchaeus could have allowed himself to be swayed by the crowd. You know when you hear people talking about you. You know, you know also when they're saying the things you already know they think. He could have let all their griping, all their insults get under his skin. Zacchaeus could have decided to strike back at all those haters, right? By bragging how Jesus was coming to his house and not to theirs. Zacchaeus could have chosen to entertain Jesus for a while as his guest and then get back to getting his percentage from the people, getting his pound of flesh from them, a little payback, by upping their bill and laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, I'm a sinner, am I? Pay up. But instead, Zacchaeus says something here. He commits to something that clearly indicates something in him, something about him has changed. Luke, again, truncates, he shortens this encounter, but I want to, again, I want you to picture in your mind, not just the crowd muttering that Zacchaeus can clearly hear, but also as they're walking to his house, as they're in his home, Jesus is speaking into Zacchaeus's life. Jesus is revealing himself, teaching him about the kingdom. And Zacchaeus has this moment where he can choose to listen to the voices outside, the voices about who he was, Or he can listen to Jesus who's starting to describe who he can become. But what we discover is that meeting, engaging, and now listening to Jesus, Zacchaeus refuses to live any longer as the man he once was. He confesses his sins openly. Do you get that? He confesses his sins openly and pursues repentance. He says, if I have cheated anyone... I will pay them back. He realizes you can't have your hand in other people's pockets and lift it up to heaven at the same time. And he offers to pay back whatever the amount he has cheated anyone of. He publicly confesses. Think about that. He says, if I have cheated anyone, and everyone's like, if you've cheated anyone, I will pay it back. Now, interesting thing, the law's requirement for making restitution, if you cheated somebody, if you stole from them, the law's requirement was an additional 20% on top of the original amount if you did it voluntarily. Now, if you were forced to make a redress, if you were forced to pay someone back that you stole from, it was double the original amount. This is interesting, right? Because what does Zacchaeus say? He goes beyond the law, right? He goes beyond the law and he reflects grace when he says, I'm going to pay back four times the original amount. But it doesn't stop there, right? That would have been amazing in and of itself, but it doesn't stop there. Zacchaeus doesn't just make amends, beloved. He changes his entire investment philosophy. Instead of being rich by what he could get, Zacchaeus tries getting rich through what he's able to give. As he pledges to give half of all he possesses to the poor. And don't miss this. Zacchaeus promises to do this not tomorrow, not next week, here and now. I'm reading this and it's like the biblical version of a Christmas carol, right? It's like the biblical version of a Christmas carol, except this is a true story. 
And it doesn't take three ghosts to change this Scrooge's heart. It just takes an encounter with Christ. Zacchaeus becomes so captured by the person of Jesus, he begins to see, this is what I want you to get, he begins to see his true identity in Christ. He begins to see the Zacchaeus he was meant to be, the Zacchaeus he now could be, thanks to the love of Jesus. And that's the third and final move, my friends. The third and final move in following Jesus as our king. The first is looking for Jesus. The second is realizing he's been watching us the whole time, looking for us and accepting his invitation and letting him into our lives. And the third and final move we make in following Jesus as our king is yielding to Jesus and allowing him to transform our lives. If we are welcoming and open to the presence of Christ, we too will see more clearly the real person we were created to be. How many of us struggle with our identity? How many of us struggle with who we are? How many of us have spent years of our lives? How many of us who are teenagers in this room or younger, this is what preoccupies us. Who am I going to be? Who am I? What does my life amount to? When you encounter the person of Christ, when you yield your life to Jesus, you see with great clarity the person you were created to be. The person you are, not because of what you do, but because of who God claims you to be, his child, his son or daughter. When Jesus encounters us, he not only gives us a profound awareness of what we have been missing, of what we have been lacking apart from him, Jesus also instills within us a vision who, of who we can become thanks to his death and resurrection. This is what Paul is talking about. Do you remember when Paul writes this in a letter? This is what Paul is talking about when he says that anyone who is in Christ, that person, he or she, is a new person altogether. The past is finished and done, and everything can become fresh and new. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You know these words. Some of us memorize them. We hear these words, but beloved, have they become true for us? Do we believe them? Do we live out of these promises? Or are we resisting the transformation Jesus is seeking to make in our lives? That Jesus is seeking to make out of our lives? I ask this because so many of us are stuck right here. We've seen Jesus. We've accepted his invitation and opened our lives to him. But we remain unchanged. Less like Christ and more like our old broken selves. This is a very, very sad thing. It's a very, very unnecessary thing. So many of us can say, I've encountered Christ. I saw him. I experienced his presence in my life. You've got a story. I have opened my life to Jesus. I prayed the prayer. I asked him into my heart, however you want to phrase it. And yet you haven't changed. You're not being changed. You're stuck. You hear scripture talk about how you are becoming a new creation, but you don't feel very new. You just continue to feel old. Beloved, salvation in Christ isn't just about going to heaven later. I've said this many, many times, but it bears repeating. Salvation in Christ isn't just about going to heaven later. And we need to really hear that because we do a short shrift when that's what we present the gospel as. When you share Jesus with other people, it's not just about them going to heaven later because it's not just about you or me going to heaven later. Salvation in Christ is about being radically changed and remade now. Now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now. 
Did you hear what Jesus said to Zacchaeus? Salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house when he dies. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house when he gets really, really sick or really, really scared and has nowhere else to go. No, he says, salvation has come to this house today. My friends, what we're confronting in these next few days, and it's every year we are, we're gathered, we're a crowd. But we're not meant to be a crowd, we're meant to be a body. You can go through these next few days, whether you show up or not, and you can just be a part of the crowd. What I'm trying to say to you is, Jesus isn't interested in crowds, he's interested in followers. And the difference between following the crowd and following Jesus is the crowd never changes. The crowd is always the same. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in Jericho, but go through the Gospels. We see lots of crowds. The crowds are always the same. One big huddled mass of faceless, nameless people. They run hot and they run cold. They mutter and they gossip. One day they're behind you and the next day they're calling for your head. The crowd is where you hide so you don't have to take responsibility for your choices. The crowd is where you live so you don't have to decide which direction to take. You just follow the crowd. Salvation, my friends, is being called out of the crowd and into the company of Christ. Salvation is more than knowing Jesus. Salvation is being changed by Jesus. So why are we not changed? Why are we not changing? Why are we not being changed? Is it that we doubt our lives can be transformed? Let's be honest. Is it that we doubt our lives can be transformed? Are we just convinced we're too set in our ways? Our patterns of thought and behavior? Do we think we're beyond saving? Here's a little perspective to offer us some encouragement. I don't know if this has come into your mind yet, but this hit me like a ton of bricks preparing for this today. Zacchaeus is not the first rich person Jesus has encountered. Do you remember another rich young ruler? Do you remember this guy? You remember also, very important, pay attention to the parallels. This rich young ruler saw Jesus, and Jesus saw him. Remember it says Jesus looked on him and loved him. This rich young ruler Wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus invited him to follow, but that invitation included being changed. But he wouldn't be changed. Real important, he wouldn't be changed. It's not that he couldn't be changed, he wouldn't be changed. And Jesus, you remember that story? He turns and he acknowledges how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we're not just talking about material richness. Any sense that you've got wealth, whatever you define wealth to be, intellect, ingenuity, strength, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And you remember that? The disciples are like literally in shock because to be wealthy in any sense of the word, materially, physical strength, intellect, to be wealthy is to be blessed by God. And if Jesus is saying that when you're blessed by God, it's hard to enter the kingdom of heaven, these startled disciples say, well, if they can't get in, who can get in? Who can be saved? And you remember what Jesus says? With God, all things are possible. And this encounter, this encounter proves that promise, that it's hard. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Zacchaeus allows himself to be changed. That's the difference between him and the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus submits to confessing and repenting rather than boasting in the law. You remember the rich young ruler? I fulfilled all those commandments. You got any more? Is there an 11th or 12th? 
Zacchaeus confesses and repents rather than boasts in the law. He lets go of being defined by his wealth and possessions by giving away what he has. And just like that, Zacchaeus is transformed from a face in the crowd to a follower of Jesus. Just like that, Zacchaeus is transformed from a curious spectator to a gracious witness. He doesn't just boast about having been given grace by God. His very life reflects and extends the grace he has been given. And my friends, that's what we're called to become, gracious witnesses. We love to boast about how we are saved by grace. Sometimes we even use it as some kind of badge of honor when we're actually trying to witness to other people. I'm saved by grace. Wouldn't you like to be saved by grace too? Or do you want to burn in hell the rest of your life? (laughs) Zacchaeus doesn't boast about the grace he has received. Zacchaeus reflects that grace through how he lives. We are called to be gracious witnesses. How do we witness to Christ? How do we point to Jesus? Don't tell anybody. You don't have to understand all the theological arguments. You don't even have to understand the Bible all that well. Which is not to say that you shouldn't make the effort. You witness to Christ by revealing, by reflecting the grace that God has imparted into your life. When you're gracious, when you're grace-filled, you point to Jesus. You reveal Christ to others. My friends, I point to this passage, and it's not a typical passage on Palm Sunday because I really believe Zacchaeus offers us a reflection of what it looks like to not just watch what Jesus is doing from afar, but to actually follow him, to be affected, to participate in the salvation he brings to this world. Today is Palm Sunday, and today we make the first and second move that I talk about. Today, with everyone else and the rest of the crowd, we look for Jesus and we welcome him. Amen. Our desire for Christ is reflected in the palm branches we lay in front of our Lord. Our openness to Jesus of our lives is declared as we shout together, Hosanna in the highest. But what comes next, that's what remains before us. Everything we are about to remember, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, everything we are about to remember looks to be about what Jesus has already done. On the surface of it, looking at it from a distance, it would seem like nothing new is going to take place over these next few days. I've grown up as a Christian all my life. So for those of you who have, or have got, this isn't your first rodeo, you're like, dude, I've been at the Monday, Thursday service. I've been to a Good Friday service. I've been to maybe a Holy Saturday service. I know what happens. I know the story. I've heard it over and over again. On the surface, nothing new is going to happen over these next few days. The story's not going to change. In one sense, we've all been here before with Jesus. Nothing is different except this. What will be new is how we experience Jesus through all this. What will be different if you make that third and final move is how we allow Christ to change us. You're looking for Jesus. You're here this morning. You've opened your lives to him because you're worshiping with me. But are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to become a new creation? That's what these next few days are about. The work that Jesus continues to do, why we are on repeat every year at Holy Week, because Jesus continues to transform our lives. He purposes to bring about in us from being spectators in the crowd into gracious witnesses for his kingdom. 
And if you want an example again of what it looks like, you have no further than to look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who once forfeited the meaning of his name, as well as his birthright as one of God's chosen people, Jesus declares, becomes a son of Abraham, and he starts living as a righteous one. If Jesus can do all this in one day, what can Jesus do in your life over these next few days? What can Jesus do in your life over these next few days? If encountering Jesus can transform old, wee, sad little Zacchaeus into a new man, can open his heart, soften, open his mind, soften his heart, and widen his reach to help others rather than to profit from others, how will we be changed as we experience Christ during Holy Week? I don't know the answers, but I do know this. I'm pretty excited to find out. Amen.